Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hello. I am Guillermo del Angel, originally from Mexico City and now in Boston, Massachusetts, and you are listening to the best podcast of all, The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you, Guillermo, who has introduced our podcast this week as somebody who backed our Kickstarter late last year, and you'll have the chance to do exactly the same thing for 2022 when we get uh, our next crowdfunding campaign underway. I kind of feel as though, Catherine, we should be paying Guillermo for that amazing uh, sort of plug at the start of our show. He's done us proud there, hasn't he, Guillermo? Yes, lovely stuff. Amazing. how did the opening ceremony go, Catherine? Because when we last spoke to you, it was nigh. <laughs> well, I wouldn't wind the clock back to when it was nigh, put it that way. Um, look, I, 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 love, I love that I've done it. I love that I was asked to do it. Um, I feel very honoured and privileged and it feels like a real achievement and all all of those corny things but my golly gosh it was hard um yeah so so hard I've never said so many names all of them foreign (laughs) um in the space of well actually not uh, not a very small space space of about four and a half hours um yeah the I had to uh have things to say about 104 different countries and their flag bearers and for that i required the not inconsiderable help of my tennis podcast family for which i'm eternally grateful mostly matt i should say because i i was i was trying to help david spent about an hour and a half on norway I kept finding out new stuff that wasn't particularly relevant, but I still Meanwhile, couldn't. Matt supplied me with the fact that, uh, is it Tajikistan, Matt? I think it's Turkmenistan, isn't Turkmenistan. it? Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan has an Olympic stadium despite never having hosted an Olympics and not currently looking like it's about to host an Olympics. If you build it, though, they will come. They've definitely heard that saying. Marvellous. You seemed, Matt, I have to say, to be having the absolute time of your life preparing for Catherine's (laughs) opening ceremony with her. I loved it. I was in my element. I had music on and I was finding obscure facts about some obscure countries. It It was really great. 
I, I should say she she did an excellent job, folks. If you didn't get to hear it, and uh, and she'll be even better next time uh, because she'll be doing the closing ceremony, and she's doing all the days in between as well. So uh, you didn't know about that, didn't you, Catherine? Before I mentioned it. Oh, uh, definitely know about it. Right. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well. You'll be even better next time. Uh, and, yeah, the, the Olympics is a few days underway. Uh, I think the the thing that struck me most from a tennis perspective has been the heat. Um, and, I, and I should have known the, what to expect, but it still took me by surprise, just on day one in particular, how much it impacted the matches and impact players, impacted players who I who I wasn't necessarily expecting it to impact quite so dramatically. And and the heat there in Tokyo at this time of year appears to be... I'm trying to think of a, a comparable, really, for, for what it's doing to the players. Maybe I've seen Washington at this sort of time, time of the year really hurting players. But, I mean, Djokovic, we know, suffered in the heat before. He still won 6-2, 6-2 in the match itself. But... He didn't look comfortable, and Daniel Medvedev was the was the one you caught, Catherine. I think wasn't he? Yeah, after his win over Alexander Bublik in the first round, which was not epic but quite fun, I think would be how I'd describe that. Certainly not a tremendous letdown, as previous meetings might have been. Uh, yeah, he said it was pretty much the worst conditions he'd ever played in, um, heat and weather-wise. He said, "Look, I'm not complaining about it." It's it's part of the deal, but it is awful, um, which I found to be very relatable comments. Um, yeah, I think Washington's quite a good comparison, sort of US Open, even some of those really oppressive uh, days and evenings you get at the US Open. And I think because the humidity, it's not letting up that much in the evening and at night. I really think these conditions are going to be a, a tremendous factor in uh, in how the medals are decided it it it's it's completely oppressive the um the british cyclist that won the mountain mountain bike gold today tom pidcock um he said after his gold medal win that he thinks what what made the difference was that he spent the last few months specifically training for these heat and humidity conditions in Tokyo for 45 minutes after every single one of his standard training sessions. He then has gone into a special tent to recreate hot and humid conditions and he cycles for for 45 minutes extra in the humidity. And that's won him a gold medal today. I mean, there you have it. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, Matt. Matt was grimacing throughout that, and I I could not share that facial expression more. Matt, Matt, Matt shaking I mean, his head throughout that answer. I would love a gold medal, but not some prices are too high to pay. <laughs> yes, and actually, I've heard. Um, I think after that first round match, you mentioned David Djokovic put out there. You know, should we be thinking about playing at a different time of? of day and I know they've started the triathlons really early in the morning yeah. haven't they to to try and combat that heat and and just get it done before it does get really hot but I think you're right I think with the humidity it's actually not going to make that much difference if they're playing at night um and for Medvedev that was a really good win I felt because I didn't think he had anything left I think he knew he had to win that in two sets against Bublik which therefore 
made the fact that he did manage to get it done in two sets all the more impressive with that with that pressure on his back um but yeah definitely definitely the heat and humidity is is affecting these matches and the outcomes of these matches i think uh, and what what is this rule that they brought in almost overnight i think from yesterday didn't they they had a, a day to digest these complaints and then they brought in a heat rule an extreme heat policy what what's what's changed now i think they get a 10 minute break after the second set if it goes to a decider if the extreme heat policy is in place and i think it comes into effect at a certain temperature right um yeah, I mean, it's pretty common in tennis, that, isn't it? As you said, we've seen it elsewhere. But, yeah, it's a recognition. These are these are tough conditions. Mm. Yeah, I think they probably did the right thing there. Um, so in terms of the matches that we've, we've actually seen and where we are now, we're a couple of rounds into the Olympics tennis draw. The, the most wildly anticipated arrival onto the court really was that of Naomi Osaka. And... That was preceded by the fact that she ended up lighting the torch, lighting the final, the the Olympic flame. And uh, that is a moment, I think, that will stand long in the memory. First tennis player ever to light the flame at uh, at the Olympics. And this came as a, as a surprise, really, didn't it, Catherine? Because I think she was actually on the order of play the for, for the opening day. And then late on she was suddenly shunted off to the next day. Yeah, which was a real dummy hand they gave us. I can't, I can't believe that that wasn't a deliberate sleight of hand by the organisers. I mean, very well played. Um, and I've had some insight into the the lengths that have gone to, to um, you know, protect some of the more high-profile elements of, you know, the ceremony so that they do have these big reveals. Um, but I, I couldn't believe that Naomi Osaka wasn't going to be involved in that opening ceremony in some way. So it was a huge surprise. The biggest surprise for me was to see her first on the schedule on Saturday rather than to see her eventually lighting the cauldron in the Olympic Stadium. Um, as the ceremony was just about to begin on Friday, uh, we had the news circulating that Osaka had had been uh, withdrawn from the schedule on Saturday and replaced on centre court with with Igor Svantec. Um and at that point it seemed pretty clear to me that she must be involved in the ceremony. Um, and then when I went through the the running order and sort of filled in the the information that we'd received that morning, there was only one name left blank, and that was who would be lighting the cauldron, and there was only one obvious name not yet included and that was Naomi Osaka so though we couldn't announce it at the start of the ceremony at that point it did seem pretty clear to me that that's what she would be doing and yet still that moment when the the six school children who were the who were carrying the torch prior to her when they when they lit her flame and she's standing there with that completely unassuming expression on her face that is the exact same expression she has when she comes into press conferences and wins titles and gives interviews and is just so typically Naomi Osaka. Still, that moment was extremely arresting. And I hadn't 
it took me a few moments to really think about it because I was so sort of in Olympic brain. It took me a few moments really to digest it with tennis brain and the significance of it for tennis and how how enormous that really is. I mean, those moments are truly iconic. People still think about and talk about Kathy Freeman lighting the Olympic flame in Sydney. Now, I know had that had significance in terms of Indigenous people in Australia, but all choices of who lights the flame, I think, have significance beyond just, here's a really massive celebrity <laughs> that, that we've got that we we want to uh, show prominence to um, in the international community. There's always more to it than that. And Muhammad Ali lighting the flame in 1996, how iconic is that moment? So, yeah, I mean, her her comments afterwards on social media about the significance of it to her, I think, completely, completely captured it. You know, the, the greatest honour she can imagine, I think. And... Um, yeah, it's it's hard to digest, really. I think, you know, we'll look back on that in many, many years to come. It was it was incredible, and I loved that she was just sort of wearing sportswear. <laughs> she was so unjazzily dressed for like the jazziest moment of anyone's <laughs> life. It was brilliant. Yeah, and, and it made me realise this was her first public appearance in weeks. I mean, I think her Netflix documentary had come out. She'd done some magazine covers that have been released in these in these last few weeks you know we'd heard from Naomi Osaka we had seen her but this was her first public appearance and suddenly she was just there and it was so powerful when you know as we do to some extent what she's been going through in those I think 57 days it had been since we'd seen her at the French Open and you know I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure through the French Open and through Wimbledon that Naomi Osaka would play the Olympics, just not knowing how she was. And then you get there and she damn well is the Olympics. And that was just such a such a powerful moment. And yeah, just a super cool one for tennis as well that we will look back on. Did you know that it was going to be her lighting the flame officially, even before you saw clap ties on it, Catherine? Or was, I mean, obviously you've guessed by this no. point. You didn't know. No, I didn't know officially. No, and I think that's why it's still... I mean, I was absolutely assuming it was her. I hadn't even really run through in my mind other candidates for who it might be. And yet still, that moment when she appeared was was really quite something. Hmm. Um, yeah, that'll live with me for a long time. There's a great contrast, isn't there, between the lack of emotion she shows facially in that moment and what she said afterwards. And I'm sure it's all in there, you know, all the feelings at the time. But her, her actual words on social media, undoubtedly the greatest athletic achievement and honour I will ever have in my life. I have no words to describe the feelings I have right now, but I do know I am currently filled with gratefulness and thankfulness. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it was it was lovely to read that and um and and then she's come out onto the court and she's played like Naomi Osaka can play, Matt. I mean her her victories 6-1-6-4 over Zhang Saisai and then today 6-3-6-2 over Victoria Golubic. I mean they're not the worst draws in the world for her on a hard court, but even so, that was just a rewind to the Australian Open form. 
mm. I think. And and she looks right where she would want to be, form-wise at least. Yeah, I think so. I think, look, the most important thing is that she seems to be okay and she said she feels better and and, and, and happier. And her tennis is fantastic. I've been really surprised by... Maybe I shouldn't be. She is that good. But I've been surprised by the lack of rust. She has started the match against Zeng Shai Sai hitting the ball like a dream, just taking over in the way that she can. And then in that second set, she was pushed a lot more and just stepped up exactly when she needed to in all the biggest moments. And then against Golubic overnight, was very tight through the first set. It was, you know, it was a close match. And then she surged ahead at the end of the first set and kept it going in the second set. Sort of these Nomi Osaka trademarks that we've become so used to. It just looks like she's back on a hard court, which is where she's separated herself from everyone else over the last few years. And she's so determined. There is a hint of what she had going on at the US Open last year, playing for something bigger. And there's this on a mission vibe to her and... When she plays like that, she's pretty unstoppable. So, you know, this is looking great. I'm I'm well aware that she's playing again tonight and this will be out-of-date tennis news <laughs> in a few hours. But at the time of recording, this is my take and I stand by Who it. Who is it for her now? Uh, Marketa von Drosheva. Oh, yes, I did see that. And I, I remember thinking at the time, I'd love to see that match on clay. But I don't feel that von Drosheva is going to be able to handle what's coming at her in that match. <laughs> That's going to be hilarious, isn't it, when people are li- listening to this after the uh, the big news that's broken overnight of Osaka out. Anyway, we'll find out. Um, talking of somebody who is out, Ash Barty is out, and the Wimbledon champion lost in straight sets. This is a match that I saw quite a bit of against Sara Saribas-Tormo, who's backed it up and beaten Fiona Ferro. I mean, it's it's one of those that... I think people who who haven't followed tennis really closely in the last few months and over the last year would would see that as just an almighty upset of the highest order. And and I know that a couple of people in my family said, "Well, who's Sara Saribas Tormo?" And I do get that, but I think having seen what we saw at uh, at, at Wimbledon and various other points during the year, she's a really really good player. What what surprised me was how she seemed to turn the tables on Barty and play her almost at her own game. She just kept on slicing cross-court with her own backhand. And by the end, Barty was trying to punch holes through the defences with her two-hander. And it was quite a, quite an, a, an arresting sight to see Barty go that route. And she was having some success, but it, it's, it struck me that she'd basically lost that that territorial battle of giving into somebody else's slice backhand but still I'm still surprised when she was a set and a breakdown she started to play like a dream Barty I'm really surprised that she didn't take over at that point mm. yeah it's it's certainly a tough draw for her and I think as you said it's a it's a result which makes a lot more sense if you know about Sarah Sribas Tormo and how much she's improved this year and also frankly if you've followed some of Ash Barty's tournaments this year she has struggled occasionally in in first round matches I think of Miami I think of Wimbledon she wasn't particularly sharp through the first few rounds there she's she has been vulnerable in first rounds and she's often got through them but 
Cyrus Rebus Tormo was was too good not to capitalize on that. And as you said, she she was brilliant tactically. She she combines this really low knifed slice that you mentioned, David, with a really opposite forehand, which is loaded with topspin. You know, they're just opposite shots to have to face. And I think that can be confusing for opponents. And look, I, I don't want to necessarily compare Ash Barty's situation to other Grand Slam champions. But I remember when Simone Hallett won the French Open and she told, you know, we knew what a big deal that was for her, what a dream it was for her to finally get a slam. Look, Barty told us it was her dream to win Wimbledon and suddenly she's back in a really big event. I just, I can imagine it being difficult to go again following Wimbledon. I I can imagine that that Wimbledon result might sustain her for a while and I'm not saying a lack of motivation was the reason she lost this match but it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to have to deal with to back it up I think so soon she uh, she is still in the doubles mm. um I would point out with Storm Sanders who stuck around at Wimbledon and was there in the mm. players box when she when she won the title which was which was a really nice touch and you know Barty is a Grand Slam doubles champion and I, I do think she's the sort of character for whom an Olympic gold slash medal would, would kind of mean the same in singles Agreed. Mm. and in doubles um, so I think that's not insignificant at all that she uh, that she's she's I think that's a couple of rounds now that she's won through in, in the doubles not quite sure who she plays next but I'll be keeping an eye on Barty Barty in the doubles, that would be a nice story. I think the other thing to to just mention as well is there are no fans. And it is really jarring after full houses at Wimbledon through several days and loads of noise and a feeling of almost normality to then go to this... Yeah, and and Barty hasn't had much experience of that, bar I think maybe a couple of rounds at the Australian Open. Did she lose when there were no fans? I can't actually remember whether she lost at the Australian Open when there when there were no fans. There was a, a period in the middle of the tournament where Melbourne went into lockdown and I can't remember, but that would have, I think been her only experience pretty much of playing without fans. I think pretty much most of the other tournaments she would have played, there've been at least some. It's also really interesting to having the completely direct comparison of how tennis without fans compares to other sports without fans. I mean, you're literally switching from one feed to another, from one sport to another, multi-screening. Um, and I think tennis suffers on average more. I agree. Mm. Totally. Than other sports without fans. I the mean, there is was amazing with without fans because the teams are making so much noise. Exactly, and it's it's really interesting because I've found I think I think pretty much unanimously indoor tennis without fans has been the worst. That echo, <laughs> that hollow echoey sound. Um, but actually, some of the indoor sports have fed better. I think in the Olympics without. I mean, the the swimming hasn't been as bad as I feared because the few people that are there, the teammates, the volunteers, the acoustics actually really amplify the sounds that they are making and create something of an atmosphere. Um, it'd be, I, I mean, I do, my instinct is the, the athletics is really going to suffer from lack of fans, but that doesn't start till next week. So we'll see. I think 
I think the gymnastics, brilliant as it's been, I still have been absorbed by it, but I do think that suffers a bit from lack of fans. But tennis suffers as much as any, yeah. I think, really does. Especially in one of these really cavernous mm. bowls of yeah. hard court tournament. And I think this is, this is particularly jarring. And also with that sleepy heat as well. Um, mm. Yeah, you can see the how the players are slowed down. There's not there's no energy in the stadium. There's no energy in them. They're, they're trying to pace themselves, conserve, and I totally get it. But it's, I mean, it, I do think in that way it's it's kind of made for Djokovic and in in a in terms of being able to pace himself. Uh, and, and Except get that these conditions aren't made for Djokovic. No, but I'm in no way suggesting he's not going to win the gold medal. I really think he is, but. This he does not like no. this vibe at all. You know, no. he, the, it, it's 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 his one tiny tiny bit of kryptonite, isn't it? Yeah, and actually, um, we'll come back to the the rest of the women's draw in a minute. But uh, actually, just thinking about his his victories so far, Hugo Delian, and then today against Jan Leonard Struff, which was four all first set. When I referenced to you both, oh look, it's four all first set. When about three minutes, it was six four two love, um, but he now faces Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, who I kind of feel will bring his own energy and will will maybe not mind the conditions too much. So it'll be a, t- a totally different type of of battle against someone like that than it was against um, Struff. So very interested to see how uh, how that ends up going. I saw a little bit of Davidovich Fakina today. He beat John Millman, which I thought was oh. an impressive win given everything we've talked about with the conditions. Because John Millman yeah. is a guy who I think would back himself in those conditions against a lot of people on the ATP tour. And and beat Musetti in, uh, in the first round? He did, yeah. Mm. So he was in form and playing well and... Davidovich Fakina was a setup and probably should have finished it in two and it went to a third set so he had to go again and it was just it was just an impressive win. I think I think I have seen him play Djokovic and it wasn't wasn't particularly pretty. Um I think he's he's practiced with Djokovic quite a lot and Djokovic seems to know his game. I think he perhaps reads some of the crazier elements in his game better than people who maybe don't know him. Um so yeah, but I'm I will be interested to see that. I think just with Djokovic, what I'm finding interesting and it's something that always gets me at the Olympics is just what a big star he is in the Olympic Village. I've seen so many athletes getting selfies with him or and he was asked about that in his press conference and he said, yeah, people have been coming up to me asking <laughs> me for some advice and, you know, I've been happy to give it. And, you know, I think... So often tennis players are big stars at the Olympics um, and, you know, there's obviously other ones as well. But I think without Federer, without Nadal there, without Serena, Djokovic is the guy. And And I think he probably really enjoys that. And I think Mm. that's great that he really enjoys it. Gives him a chance, really, doesn't it? Good for him. Gives him a chance to be the man. Be the man, yeah. Without anybody else around getting Mm. the inevitable attention because of their longevity Mm. in the sport and all the the rest of it. There was the the picture of him uh, doing the splits with some some gymnasts, wasn't there? Which was, I mean, it was great. It was really, yeah, really great. I love that about the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And And I love that he loves that. that. Uh, Exactly. Mm. I love people that 
understand that that is a beautiful thing about the Olympics. Mm. And I love that that's still a thing at this Olympics. I worried that mm. because of all the restrictions and everything, there just wouldn't be any of that. And, and there's less of it than there otherwise would be. But the, it's, it still exists. Mm. And that warms my heart. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Davidovich Fakina for him next to try to get into the quarterfinals. I'm going to just backtrack again up the agenda because Matt's just laid out this marvellous agenda that I've just completely jumped hoops through in order Matt to get to... Matt and his Olympic agendas. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this has become it's a thing, a whole everybody. Thing. Uh, if, if you're not following us on Twitter, now would be a good time. Uh, if If not for... Hannah during Grand Slams uh, for for Matt's daily Olympics plan, which uh, which I have just been following with every single moment of every day. I uh, thought everyone to, did it. No, this is where this is where <laughs> Matt digests every single bit of Olympic information for the day and distills it into a little itinerary of watching. And it works to perfection. And I've been just following mm. it. And I've been posting it on on our social media channels. So you can too be like Matt. 
I haven't done that, Matt, but I can tell you that the last time I bought a physical edition of the Radio Times, which for international listeners is a, well, it's a TV guide. It's a magazine TV guide. It's the sort of um, definitive TV guide in the UK always was, was for the Rio Olympics. And I circled and highlighted things. Um, and if I, if I weren't working this Olympics and my schedule weren't decided for me, I would have purchased this Radio Times, which is frankly an inferior version of Matt's daily schedule. Well, I was going to say you've given away my secret. <laughs> oh, do you get it from the Radio Times? Well, the Radio Times spread is excellent. And then I distill that into into my little itinerary. He's one-upped the Radio Times. <laughs> the Radio Times will be employing Matt this time in four years. But I think it comes from the tennis fan in me. I'm used to having lots of sport going on simultaneously that I want to watch and an order of play and circling and kind of chronicling what I want to watch in a given day. Just, it just, all just makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. Well, on it today was uh, Carla Suarez Navarro as part of the uh, the tennis schedule, and uh, she ended up being beaten by Karolina Pliskova, but not before winning a seven six second set. I mean, quite extraordinary that she followed her win over Ons Jabeur in the opening round um, by really pushing the runner up at Wimbledon. To, to a third set and, and uh, she's still in the doubles with Garbina Muguruza yeah. and uh, I love those two together yes mm. I really I, yeah uh, that, that reminds me of, of kind of happier days for Muguruza yeah. as well when they used to be a partnership um, I think it's good for her too yeah um, absolutely they, they, they face they make me happy and Van Oetvank uh, who incidentally Van yeah defeated uh, Petra Kvitova today which was a bit of a shock flag bearer Petra Kvitova probably tennis's highest profile flag bearer at the opening ceremony tennis usually um is very well represented in terms of flag bearers um it was it was obviously a depleted athlete um presence at the opening ceremony this time around and you did or well, my I I my take on it was that a lot of the medal contender athletes actually didn't march in the athlete parade at the opening ceremony because of the covid risk I think the the federations perhaps wanted to to wrap them up in in cotton wool um you know the the with all due respect to the the two that carried the flag for team gb a lot of people were expecting it to be adam Peaty or helen glove or someone like that but no it was slightly lower profile athletes and and the the sort of real medical med, medal contenders weren't there um so but petra Kvitova did carry the flag for the Czech republic republic and even through the mask you could just see the just absurd grin on her face it was wonderful it was electric really really lovely um and uh maybe maybe that was enough for her i don't know but I, I didn't see any of the the loss to, to van oit bank she does I. she, she struggled things. in humidity yeah. a lot in the she, past she actually struggles with her breathing doesn't she i've seen it at altitude she's and, an asthmatic i think isn't yeah she? she struggles in well i mean she's 
I think she's won three times in Madrid, but I've also seen her really struggle in Madrid with the um, with the altitudinous conditions um, and humidity as well. Really, sort of looks like something's kind of sitting on her chest. So mm. perhaps we shouldn't be that surprised. But I'm really pleased she had that honour and that moment. Yeah, uh, we had uh, Donna Vekic today knocking out Arena Sabalenka, the third seed, in a deciding set tiebreaker. A match which uh, which I tuned in late on, uh, due to my uh, uh, the the Croatian half of my family. Frankly, um, my wife's Croatian, my kids are basically half Croatian, and they they were all going wild for uh, for Donna Vekic's win. Um, another disappointment for Sabalenka, though, and. I mean, I know she doesn't look that comfortable in the heat, but still, you know, it's a disappointment for her. I love that in a multinational household, you get double the Olympic fun. Oh, yeah, you get it's good. two nations to support. I'm very envious of that. Yeah. Note to self, find man, <laughs> find international man <laughs> in order to double Olympic fun. Can tell you, though, that the taekwondo final involving the Britain and the Croatian... Oh, crikey, yes. Causes issues. So, mm. um, anyway. We'll take on. the rough with the smooth, though. Yeah, all right. Um, Paula Bedosa today beat uh, Iga Sviantek in two sets. Blumming close match, this was. A lot closer than straight set sounds. Um, and uh, it was. Uh, I was kind of across it at the end. And Matt, you, you, I think you watched the, pretty much the whole thing. Uh, because, or at least you seemed. Every time I tried to alert anybody to anything, Matt said, "Yeah, but Bedosa and Sviantek. Um and <laughs> and uh, and then poor old Iga, after she lost, was just oh. sobbing, weeping into her towel for a good ten minutes afterwards, sitting on her courtside chair, and a really warm embrace from Bedosa. Who who could tell? Who could tell how much that was hurting her? Um, and she was obviously that mixture of joy herself, but also feeling really bad for her, her opponent too. And I couldn't 100% tell whether the conditions were, were 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 to blame as well as the occasion and the disappointment. It's you know I, I wouldn't like to to hazard too much of a guess. I didn't I haven't heard quotes from her to explain, but it was it was an upsetting sight to witness it as well, Matt. I mean I think. It's upsetting to see anybody in in that state, but also somebody as that everybody likes as much as 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 Sviantek. It's but it was particularly hard to, to to witness. Yeah, it's as it's as tough as anyone has taken a loss that I can remember. Really, I mean, you know, there's there's obviously numerous Sitsipas examples, and I I think of Goran and his and his plate. At Wimbledon, but this Andy Murray, yeah, but I mean, this will stick with me as as you know. It was mm. a good ten minutes she she was on the court for, and and because of the lack of fans, you could you could hear the sobbing, you could you could feel it coming through the just coming through the screen. It was it really quite tough to watch. Um, I thought Badosa was brilliant. I'm so impressed with how she's backed up. The French oh, Open. Hello, Spanish speakers. Pronunciation. Badosa. Mm. All right, I'm going to correct myself <laughs> going forward. Then. Good. Thanks, Matt. Just slip that in there. He just throws it in. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just impressed with how she's backed up the French Open and and, and her breakthrough on clay. You know, she reached the semi-final in Madrid, which was a big deal for her. Quarterfinals at Roland Garros, and then honestly, I did wonder whether we might not 
see her as a real top presence again until the next clay season. But she had a good Wimbledon and now she's just beaten Iga Swiatek at the Olympics. She's she's a relevant force on kind of all surfaces it feels like now. She's really got a great appetite, hasn't she? Totally and and a great game. She's she's better than I thought she was and I mm. I I really like it when a player makes me feel like that. Yeah. Talking of other people that are in really good form, just mark the card. Maria Sakkari, who's beaten Annette Kontovert in round one into round three very convincingly, and Barbora Krichikova. No great surprise there because she's been doing it for months. She's just been sweeping opponents aside. I think it was Leila Fernandez today who'd had a good first round win. Well, Krichikova was having none of that. Uh, and Muguruza is still going strong as well. So those are the people that are going to be featuring over the next few days, one suspects, mm. and maybe maybe gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal winners over the next uh, week. So that's the uh, the women's draw. In the men's side, aside from Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray was unable to play singles, very sadly, um, but he is still in the doubles. He actually played doubles on the first day that we were watching, and it was a victory alongside Joe Salisbury against Pierre Ugebert and Nicolas Mahou. Um, and they were fantastic in that match, were Murray and Salisbury. I mean, it was not close. It was, what, 6-2, 6-3, something like that. And, uh, I mean, I... I did see a suggestion that maybe Mahu wasn't 100% fit, but even so, this was an absolute demolition job. Um, and I, I, I mean, Murray's got a thigh strain. Let's let's hope for his sake that he can cover his half of the court and and still be still be effective. Mm. Yeah, they they were brilliant. That was their first ever professional match together. Um, and you know, bearing in mind Andy Murray has has played men's doubles at the last two Olympics with brother Jamie, who they can be brilliant together. They've won a Davis Cup together, pairing up most of the time in the doubles, but they have not been brilliant on those occasions at at the Olympics that they've played together because they've sort of been thrown together at last minute, seemingly with no preparation and have looked kind of all at sea on on the court together and lost first round, I think, in both both Olympics. So although Joe Salisbury, obviously brilliant doubles player, Andy Murray, brilliant player, full stop, and doubles at the moment suited to whatever physical impairment he might have at the moment, um, sort of in theory, I can see it working. I worried that, you know, just throwing them together with no preparation just wouldn't work and they were they were brilliant they were really really brilliant and um I'm obviously sad about Mahubert um really really sad it was a it was it was a it was a very trying match to to watch and to know what to do with my emotions because I wanted everyone on the court to win and that simply wasn't possible um yeah, I mean that's the second seeds that they've dumped out in in the first round, and yeah, massive pumped and pumped Andy Murray in doubles is one of my favourite tennis sites. I'd forgotten it. I'd forgotten it from that wonderful run he had with Feliciano Lopez at Queens a couple of years ago. Just Andy Murray acting like a doubles match on a. Monday or whenever it was a Saturday on this occasion wasn't it but is the biggest thing that has ever been in his career 
as if three Grand Slam singles titles, you know, that's nothing compared to this first round doubles match. It is an energy that I love. I love it. Hmm. Well, yeah. How, how did Joe Salisbury take all this, Catherine? Um, I would, I would say it, he took it on board. He didn't. <laughs> um, he played really well. Uh, he didn't sort of reflect it back at Andy Murray. I would say that it's they're they're a good foil to one another. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I, can I would imagine say. That. Could you imagine Murray and Evans? Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> there might be some sort of chemical explosion on the court if that happened. Um, by the way, I, I, just on the, the last time they played doubles together at the Olympics, Murray and Murray, I remember how disappointing they were. I think in 08, maybe, or maybe it was 12. I can't exactly remember. They but played 12 and 16. The, the 16 yeah. match they played. I've just looked it up because I remember watching this. And actually, I think that they played quite well. But they played Thomas Bellucci and Andre Sao, which is suddenly like the, one of the best scratch pairs I've ever seen. <laughs> and they won 7-6-7-6, including a 16-14 tiebreak. Um, which, which I, I remember thinking, how are the Murrays losing this? But anyway, they did. Um, that's five years ago. And speaking of tough doubles draws at the Olympics, Mo and Herbert have played two, and they've lost in round one both times. Obviously, this was a tough draw. They had Cabal and Farah in Rio in the first round, oh. and you know, I mean, they deserve better. Twenty twenty four. Well, that's yes. the thing. It's in Paris. It's at Roland Garros. They've won oh there my twice. God, don't. Maybe could you imagine? Maybe that is going to be their time. Mo would will be forty. Yeah, he'll be forty. I think doable. Yeah. I'd say. I think so. Yeah, Mahu will be sobbing before he goes out there. Oh my! Um, okay. I'm, anyway, I'm all about that happening. You've got four years to build up to it. Three years. Three. Three. Yeah. Three. There's something very tantalising about a chase to become complete. Mm. We've got lots of them going on in tennis at the moment. Yes. And Mouen Air Bears is, is a big part of that. It's it's an interesting one. Uh, and Roland Garros is the tennis venue for the 2024 mm-hmm. Paris oh. Games. Okay, completely sold. Well, That's tell happening. You, somebody who hasn't got a chase on at the moment is Felix Auger-Aliassime because he lost to Max Purcell. Uh, after Andy Murray was removed from his path. Yeah. This is how um, this is how hard tennis predictions are. The winner of the first round match between Andy Murray and Felix Auger-Aliassime was Max Purcell. <laughs> <laughs> well done. But who only got into the Olympics because Alex Dumanor tested positive for COVID and only got into the singles draw because Andy Murray pulled out about four hours before the match. Wow. Yeah. Good effort from I him, mean, isn't Max it? Purcell fans won't enjoy this podcast, but it's definitely a dodgy loss, that, isn't it? He's now out, mm. Max Purcell. For, for he, lost, he lost 6 3 6 love to of Dominic course. Kupfer mm. uh, in the next round. But anyway, well done for beating. What is Ozzy Aliassim doing there? I mean, Andy Murray must be thinking, oh, can't believe this. Uh, I've got injured and now I, had a ch- I could have beaten him. Anyway, is what he's probably thinking. Um, so Kane Shikuri is also going strong. He beats Andre Rublev. Stefanos Tsitsipas beats... Uh, still in the doubles also. He is, he, and apparently he played really well, knocked out Murray and Skopsky yeah. today with... Uh, and I don't... I was, I was trying to it? think of singles players that I've seen less frequently play doubles than, than Nishikori. I, I can't think of one. I don't think I've ever 
seen or heard of Nishikori playing doubles. No, I, I can't remember. He's, he's going to go and win the gold medal now, isn't he? <laughs> in the doubles. Well, it's a good win, isn't it, over Rublev and uh, Sitsipas beat Kohlschreiber, but not without a bit of trouble. I mean, he he lost the set, and and he was, I think he was a breakdown in the decider before he got his act together. The movement was in serious jeopardy. Monitor math math was. Um, monitoring the movements issues well if i mean if if kane ishikori had beaten rublev which he did and sitsapas had lost to kolschreiber i mean the movement would have been over it would have been in tatters (laughs) sitsapas has single-handedly saved the movement by winning that final set it's very final that you can't lose to I Philip think, Kohlschreiber in 2021. No, I, my, and I think part of the problem is how old he looks. I know, my daughter walked in, she had no idea who he is, and she goes, who is he? He looks ancient. <laughs> like, that is brutal. Especially as somebody, I mean, some people he just have compared his, his hair to mine. He just looks his age, doesn't he? Whereas most sort of slightly ageing tennis players seem to defy age. But Philip Kohlschreiber really looks like a man approaching his 40s <laughs> yeah nothing wrong with that um he played well though good win he for did. him or oh, a good good performance mm. by him before Sitsipas yeah. got his act together Sitsipas needs to get his headband back on I think that that's part of it he's taken that off and gone the sort of uh, uh, he's half he looks Pierre Rougebert style he looks hey. on the way to a man bun mm. he's got to get through oh. this slightly debatable phase it's awkward. Just get your bloody headband back on. Anyway, um, right, Dano Medvedev, we talked about him. He won through both of his first two matches, so he's still going strong. Marin Cilic won a match against Zhao um, Menezes on his 11th match point. What else happened in that match, Matt? Because it was a bit of a, a roller coaster. It was, I mean, even by Marin Cilic standards, he, he managed to make it torturous and unnecessarily complicated um i mean actually he was he was a set and five three down and then won nine games in a row to be five love up in the final set 40 love up in that game and along the way in that set he had 10 match points that he didn't take double faulted on one of them and he eventually won it on his 11th match point in the tie break having having saved a match point himself it was totally bonkers tennis match and by the end the quality was terrible and yet i i couldn't look away it was absolutely <laughs> engrossing who who is going to win this match neither of them could finish it off it was yeah it was it was compelling yeah it was all a waste of time in the end because he ended up losing <laughs> his lost. next match Baron to Pablo Carina Buster did not win today <laughs> yeah. correct uh, it lost uh, in three sets to Karina Buster um, so that happened uh, in the men's doubles the top seeds uh, Nikola Mektic and Mate Pavic won a bit of a close one against Lorenzo Massetti and um, Sonigo mm, that was fascinating I, I I just was checking the scores and noticed that that had gone to a match tie break which they play in the in the third set of the doubles and it was classic doubles players versus singles players because Mektic and Pavic just took up their positions at the net and Mazzetti and Sonigo chose the baseline for their battleground and 
could they hit topspin passing shots past Mektic and Pavic? That was basically every rally, and and no was the answer. Mektic and Pavic were so solid at the net and so pumped to win that. That is a really big win for them. You know, this year I think they've teamed up because of the Olympics, and they've been sort of sweeping all before them in men's doubles. And if they'd gone out to a couple of singles players I think that would have really hurt so that's a that's a big deal for them that they're still in this draw yeah yeah uh, also big news in the women's doubles in that uh, Belinda Bencic and Victoria Golubic beat Ioma I beat Ioyama and Shibahara who have been one of the teams of the year so that's a heck of a win yeah one of the teams of the year for whom obviously this games was where they were aiming to peak. Yeah. I mean, losing in the first round is not. I mean, that's. I mean, this is. I, I realize this is really niche. They're, they're total double specialists, but um, that's a massive upset. Massive, massive loss. Like a really, a really Olympic y result that. Um, yeah. And yeah, obviously in the host nation, I, I really, yeah, I really feel for them. Mm and there's been some massive news elsewhere on the regular tour that we should just bring you up to date with because Catherine Whitaker and myself have both had victories in the predictions uh, because uh, oh yes I, I suppose I should also tell you about the first time title wins for uh, Cameron Norrie and um, Carlos Alcaraz which led to those prediction wins but the points that we won are really what what, what matter here Catherine aren't they Let's be honest, uh, Catherine. Picked- yeah, I had a glorious sort of eighteen hours when yeah. my prediction was correct before my thunder was stolen. Yep, delighted, mm. um, and I, I got more points than you did as well. Um, so I've I've had a net gain of ten on you, which I'm d- delighted about. Uh, so if I wasn't so tired. I would put a lot more effort into describing exactly how irritated I am by that. Mm. Uh, anyway. I, the tone I, I can of your describe her facial expressions. If, I mean, her face is is a picture right now, I can tell you. Uh, Cameron Norrie is the person that Catherine said would win the title in Los Cabos. And given he'd never won a title before, despite having all these finals, it's quite a good pick, I've got to say, Catherine. So well done. 45 points, didn't drop a set all week long. And in fact, he just swept everybody aside. He was really good, Matt. And I've heard some people say, there you go. It shows that Norrie's decision to not play the Olympics has paid off. And yet there's still a part of me that's thinking he could have been doing this at the Olympics. Yeah, I think for him it it will have paid off. I think the reason he's not played the Olympics was because he maybe felt like he could get this first title and get that monkey off his back and he could improve his ranking. And, he, and he's done both of those things. So I think he has certainly accomplished what he set out to achieve by not going to the Olympics. I think he also views it as longer-term preparation for the rest of his American hardcore season. Um, he's up to 12 in the race, Cameron Norrie. He is having an in- just an incredible year. I mean, we're looking at most likely a top 20 player next year, Cameron Norrie. And for him to be doing that with his game just says everything about his attitude and his approach to tennis and his desire to wring everything out of what he's got. He is 
he's a credit. He's he's the sort of player that everyone coming through should be looking at and replicating what he's doing. It's 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 really impressive. Um, he could be in Turin. He might be in Turin. <laughs> I mean, it feels like a stretch, that- but maybe. If the if things AT, have happened. If the ATP had a Zuhai, he'd be there. But they don't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I'm not sure the WTA has a Zuhai. P.S. The, the ATP should have a Z. Everyone should have a Zuhai. It's yeah. a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah, um, just put it before the finals. Yes. Yeah, so we've discussed that. Correct, right. Uh, my moment of massive triumph was the victory of Carlos Alcaraz, 6-2-6-2 over Richard Gasquet in the UMAG final which is a tournament that means a lot to me, having uh, gone there for the first time in 1998 as a very green communications manager, and then met my wife two years later whilst carrying out the same job. Um, It's a lovely place, a real holiday destination, and on the subject of playing matches late at night in order to avoid the heat, they start matches in Umag at 5pm, which is... uh, Same in Los Cabos, I think. Most splendid, I have to say. Mm. Um, Another chap who just can't stop can't be stopped frankly on clay uh, is Casper Root who I think is that's a couple of titles in as many weeks isn't it uh, he's won the Gashard title beaten Hugo Gaston and I mean it's not that big a surprise because he feels almost like the next one in in the clay court stakes and and given he's playing these tournaments that are not that deep in terms of draws he's just mopping up the wins um, so well done to him. I'm, I'm, uh, great. So, sorry, go on. I was going to say I'm pleased to see Hugo Gaston get to the final. You know, he yeah. was. I found him really thrilling at Roland Garros last year when he beat Wawrinka and pushed team to five sets. And he's. I think it's taken him a little while to build on that, but he, but he did that this week. He had a good win against mm. uh, Christian Garin, and he's just got a lovely game, lovely, lovely court sense and craft. And I think clay is probably the surface which brings that out. So. Please see him doing well. Yeah, me too. A great story on the WTA circuit as well with Danielle Collins winning her first title, the Palermo final. She beat uh, Elena Gabriella Roos, who had been on a 12-match winning streak. Um, Great little bit of insight from somebody, one of our listeners who watched this match, Sam, who's at Amigate House on Twitter. Always a really good uh, contributor on Twitter, I think. And... uh, um, Sam has said, uh, watched Collins Roos, uh, good contest, loads of drama, rough looking injury that Collins showed zero sympathy for. <laughs> <laughs> and then they both referenced previous aggro from Hamburg in their speeches. Great fun, worth watching the highlights. Roos can go far, has a top 50 game and top 10 charisma. Now, that is a Ooh. good report. So Great thank you very report. much for that. I've also just seen um, the pictures of Danielle Collins with her trophy in Palermo. And they just love it. She's beaming. I hadn't quite computed the fact that she hadn't won a WTA title mm. before. You know, Grand Slam semi-finalist, you sort of just, just assume that they have. Um, yeah, and that accounts for her sheer joy in those photos. They're, they're lovely. Really yeah really joyful and also given everything we know from mm. the piece that simon briggs did with her earlier this year about the 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 awful struggles she's had with endometriosis which you know she has managed to continue playing despite and um and and having great success so absolutely fantastic to see uh so that 
brings to a close this edition of the Tennis Podcast. We're going to be back again on Thursday and thereafter daily until the end of the Olympics because things are going to get really hot and heavy from the quarterfinals onwards with loads and loads of exciting matches to look forward to. So we're going to be coming to you daily from Thursday. Um, We have had a win this week, Rogue, so I'm sure you're proud of me. I'm proud of you. Um, Catherine's delighted with Zeus. Um, Scousel Mousel's not talking to Matt after his Christian Green debacle. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> um, Billie Jean, uh, I haven't seen sight nor sound of Billie Jean in this edition of the podcast. So Billie Jean King, I don't know what she's up to. Catherine, anything? She's on holiday in Cornwall oh, with she? my brother. Oh, mm. how lovely. Having how lovely. just far too good a time. She's, oh. yeah, she's an ecstasy. Okay. Well, our executive producer is Chris Albert Lee. This week, he is also our weekly mascot owner. And I'm looking at a lovely picture of his two cats. Oh. Is it Haida? Are they they friends? They look friendly. Animals being friends is my favourite thing. They're having a hug, Catherine. They're having a hug, the two cats. We're going to post this on our social media and in our newsletter, which you can subscribe to if you click on the link in your show notes on your phone um, straight after listening to this. How how do we pronounce the names of these two cats, Matt? Oh, you're putting me on the spot, David. I I don't know. Haida and Soma or Soma, perhaps. Yeah. Um, What I do know is that they were adopted and they live in the Netherlands. And an extra bit of information, which I know Catherine's going to like, is Chris told me that they like sort of surfing around on Chris's robot hoover. Oh, Oh, hello. How cool is that? Billie Jean has a very different reaction (laughs) well a very mixed relationship with my robot hoover i feel like she wants to be friends but she's also afraid it's i mean i'm to work in progress i nearly ran out the room when i saw it i'd never seen one before um so anyway uh well your cats are lovely chris so thanks ever so much uh, for bringing them into our world and thank you for all your support as always uh thank you to all of you for listening um we we wouldn't frankly wouldn't bother without you so uh, thank goodness you're here and uh, do tell as many people as you possibly can about the existence of the tennis podcast so that we can grow our audience we will be back on thursday with another edition and we'll speak to you then 